when you're a young, nervous civilization about to send out its first deep space probe, you want to make sure whoever finds it is going to want to be your friend. And the best way to do that is to send a mixtape. Earth's Mixtape is the podcast where we dive into the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. One song at a time, one picture at a time, one whale song at a time. Welcome back to Earth's Mixtape. This is the podcast where we review the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. I'm Mike Dunlavy, and with me as always is... Roby Austin. And... Hannah Ayler. This episode will be discussing musical selections from Peru and China, as well as photos showing various structures from around the world in the Golden Record Photo Archive. So let's begin. start today by talking about track 23. Track 23 is entitled Wedding Song, and it is from Peru. It runs 38 seconds and features a single voice with no musical accompaniment. That is all we have for a title, Wedding Song, and we do not know the name of the 15-year-old Peruvian girl who sung it. How, how do we know her age? I assume that comes from notes taken by John Cohen, who recorded it in 1964 in a Peruvian town called Juan Cavalica, which is up high in the Andes. Wait, wait, so she was 15 in 1964? Yes. We should look her up? Uh, How? I don't know, but chances are she's still around. Please call us. If this is you, please contact us. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) We we, we, We would love to interview you. Um, So this song runs very short, much like the other Peruvian song we had on an earlier episode, and it is the only piece of music, we think, that features a solo voice with no accompaniment. This is entirely one human voice. Which is a good thing to send out into outer space, I think. Yeah, I think this piece is a nice example of the human voice showcasing it, just what one person sounds like. Um, I think it's a nice piece, nice and gentle sounding. Um, Is she singing her own wedding song, though, this 15-year-old? She's singing a song about her wedding. And before we get into the details of that, I will state right up front that this is not her speaking of her own personal wedding. She is singing a song about a wedding. It's not an autobiographical song. Okay. She is singing a basically a lament for marrying too young. <laughs> the lyrics include, you took me to church on Sunday. I thought it was for mass. She was tricked. Uh, the band played, I thought it was your birthday. I was a fool. <laughs> this is a song about a young girl tricked into being married. Oh. So shall we talk about the no bummers rule? <laughs> I like this song a little less now. <laughs> it's still very pretty. But again, it feels like a song that if it was in the native language of the people putting the golden record together, it perhaps wouldn't have been chosen. Yeah. Uh, but again, the person you are hearing sing when you listen to it is not somebody who married or was forced to marry too young. It's just a song about that situation. Exactly. Sung in the first person. Yeah. The song itself was recorded by a guy named John Cohen. Uh, again, in 1964, Cohen was a almost a classic mid-20th century folky to the point where he was even in a band with a member of Pete Seeger's family. He spent some time in South America recording songs. They basically took this girl into a hut to record. Uh, and apparently, if you listen very closely, it is possible you can hear her mother trying to interrupt the recording. <laughs> because her mother didn't want her to record this not very dignified song about uh, being tricked into young marriage or 
because her mother thought that the dude with the recording equipment should keep away from her young daughter who's uh, thinking about marrying. I have no idea. Mm. But apparently the mother did try to interrupt the recording. Cohen was married to Pete Seeger's half-sister Penny and was part of a group called the New Lost City Ramblers. He was also a photographer who documented the 50s and 60s folk scene around New York and currently lives in the lower Hudson Valley of New York. So he may listen to it. Well, please do feel free to get in touch and tell us the story of the mother trying to break in. I would love to hear that from the horse's mouth. <laughs> oh, and also maybe tell us her name. Knowing her name would be nice. And even if the song has a better title than just Wedding Song. This isn't the song played when Peruvian brides walk down the aisle. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> I yeah, sure yeah. Hope this not. isn't the first dance uh, Annie's song. <laughs> we, the, it maybe doesn't make it onto our wedding collection. So I was just going to say, you know, <laughs> possibly spoilers for a future episode where we talk about our wedding playlists. Uh, I think this doesn't get on. Uh, that's all I have for this piece. Those are all the words that you have? Yeah. I've been tricked into marriage. I, it was my. I thought it was your birthday. I, I think it just goes on like that. Like, I kind of like the idea of uh, hearing a band playing and thinking, "Hey, it's my birthday." <laughs> oh no! I thought it was your birth. She thought it was the groom's birthday. Oh, she thought you she hear was the band going, playing and you think, "Oh, it's somebody else's birthday." Yeah, she's singing the line. The band played. I thought it was your birthday. I was a fool. Ah, oh, dear. Maybe sneak it onto a playlist at a wedding? Like in, do the experiment in real life? See wait, if we can wait, find wait, wait, wait. a wedding explain, DJ? Explain to me in excruciating <laughs> detail what this experiment is. Well, what we do is we find a wedding DJ who has playlists. And then we, uh, we say, we need to do some important anthropological research. You need to put this, it's only short. We need you to put this only short song onto your playlist. It will completely mystify everybody who's at the wedding, except for the people who speak this language, who uh, may be Spanish and maybe some Peruvian dialect that we don't know about. Who will sit there looking uncomfortable. Who will sit there looking uncomfortable or glare at the groom. And who hasn't been at a wedding where there are people, uh, there's like at least one table of people looking uncomfortable. Or you could put it on a birthday playlist and then... Yeah, oh, have a surprise wedding. She thought yeah. it was her birthday. Exactly. Ah. So you, surprise, it's not actually a birthday, it's a wedding. So you, you, you would bring someone, you'd say, hey, we're having a birthday party for you. Yeah, and I always get DJs to DJ my birthday, <laughs> you, as them, we know. You bring them to a wedding. Uh, you say, hey, we're going to your birthday party, but surprise, it's, it's, actually it's, a wedding. it's Jimmy's wedding. No, it's actually your wedding. Oh, well, that's taking it a bit too far. You'd that's a, what happened, though. You'd have a hard time getting ethics approval for that experiment. <laughs> how about, how about, so, I don't know how cross-generational this reference will be, but how about if one of them is a pig puppet and the other one is a frog puppet? I swear to God, I had no idea where you were going with that, but now I know, and I feel so much better. <laughs> Because in my memory, uh, Miss Piggy is always sneaky marrying Kermit. Like there's just, what? there's a whole well, they, series they, they, of, they... of surprise. Oh, we're going to pretend that we're getting married. Oh, it turns out the priest was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that oh, was God. a couple. But they actually do get married at the end of Muppets Take Manhattan. But it, Kermit is kind of tricked into being there, I think. I think he, 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 he goes along with it in the end. Does but... he sing this song? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> over the end credits, I think. Awesome. All right. Mystery solved. now to 
talk about the next selection of pictures from the Scenes of Earth photo archive. We're going to be talking about pictures 83 through 95 today. And what all these photos have in common is that they are all of various Earth structures. Not structures made of Earth, structures on the planet Earth. Since I cleared that up, let's start with picture 83, entitled The Great Wall of China by Howard Kim of the National Geographic Society. And it shows a couple people walking on top of the Great Wall of China as the wall goes off into the horizon. So uh, when I was a small person, we were always told that the Great Wall of China was the one man-made structure that was visible from space. That's not true. And yes, I, it's my later what? belief. That I was that told is... that as a small child as we're, well. We were all told that as children. Why? Uh, everybody listening to this was told this as a child. It's not true. Well, very few people could go into space to double check. Okay. <laughs> it must be visible from, like, the kind of space that we define as the beginning of space. It's probably just not visible from, like, the moon. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's very long, but it's not very wide. Could you see something that's as square as it is wide? You can see roads from airplanes. I'm going to give up now. It's okay. probably. I'm sure visible. you could see it from an airplane, <clears throat> but I don't believe you can see it from space. I think this is a very nice photo. Uh, apparently, the National Geographic Society provided them with many, many photos of the Great Wall to choose from, and this was considered uh, the best one to show. It, ha it has people in it for scale, and it has people even off in the distance for perspective scale. Yep. And it does go quite a long way, which indicates, I mean, it's, it's clear that the wall keeps going a long way, so that shows. Yeah. yeah. It kind of climbs up the horizon, too, which is nice. Yeah. And it shows a large-scale engineering project of... Human construction? Ancient human, but whatever. We don't have to dwell on whether or not we can do better. Yeah, yeah I think it's a great inclusion. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it leads into the next picture, which is picture 84, entitled Construction Scene African. This is a photo from the United Nations, and it shows a couple of workers laying bricks, uh, very similar to the bricks you would see on the Great Wall. Yep. And so you can, going from that picture of a large brick wall that people are walking on to a couple guys uh, putting together such a wall. Putting together a brick structure so you can see how it's done. Yeah. And nice. there's even the completed structure in the background. So, yeah, I think these two photos go very well together. They're pleasant pictures, and they are explaining something pictorially. Mm -hmm. As does the next one, I feel. Which is picture 85, entitled Construction Scene Amish. This is a photo by William Albert Allard of the National Geographic Society and shows a classic old-timey Amish barn raisin. So they've got like the skeletal structure of the barn kind of up there and there's dudes climbing all over it and this just sets off my danger radar because mm -hmm. there's guys on top of this of this structure and they don't look like they're secured at all. There's a couple dozen uh, straw-hatted fellows on this barn, which is easily three or four stories tall. None of them are wearing safety harnesses, it looks like. They are being very industrious. Back to the 1970s, I'm afraid. And it's the first of all of our American structures. We may dwell on that. And it's also, so this is the second photo in a row to show a building being constructed. It's interesting that they chose two photos where the structure was being made basically by hand. We're not seeing large earth movers. We're not seeing cranes lifting things into place. Um, this is just people getting together to build a structure. So I think on the threat to humanity scale... That's actually quite clever, because then when we get to the skyscrapers, it's going to be like, 
Hey, 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 they can do that by hand? That's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Which is about to possibly we're, we're, be yeah, we're destroyed, gonna, we're, but whatever. Spoiler for, for, the, for future photos, we will get to skyscrapers. But not before we talk about picture 86, which is entitled House, and then in parentheses, Hut. Uh, this is another photo from the UN, and it shows a perfectly pleasant hut. It's in, huge. I think it's a little... Family domicile. It's got a meaning fence to around call it a hut. Couple of people, three people in the foreground for size reference. Yeah, it's uh, got a grass roof. Yeah, and it's so it's it's a completed. This one is completed. It's not under construction, and it's the first of a series which shows um, just houses, the kind of the kind of building people would live in. So the NASA website titles this as "House in Parentheses Africa," and they title the next photo. I don't know if you want to wait till. No, we, you, okay. You, so you the can next photo, eighty-seven, is titled on the NASA website "House Parentheses New England." And it features a New England-style house with a family standing in front of it with the white picket fence and chimney and all that stuff. Um, but I, I just think, so they call it a house in Africa versus a house in New England. Africa is an entire continent. New England is a section of a country. And yeah. it's just this theme of Africa being treated like it's a country rather than a continent made up of many different types of countries yeah, and Africa cultures. Is, Africa is not a monoculture. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that just kind of irks me. Me too. That is a fair irk. But I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't know that in 1977. That Africa was America. not a continent? Americans. Your typical I mean, was not a country. was not a country. It is yeah, a continent. Yeah, yeah. See how hard it is uh, to be God, I've been converted. No. Yeah. No, so yeah. <laughs> also talking about picture 87, the New England frame. What, so that's titled in Murmurs of Earth as house, and then in parentheses, New England frame. They don't have... Where's the rest of it from? Where's the rest of it? They don't have a photo credit for it. They refer to it as a typical North American house, which I think is fair enough if you're going to pick a typical North American house. But I think some Mexicans might have a, a thing to say about that. That is, that is a fair point. But also interesting is I'm not entirely sure this is a house. There's a shingle hang, hanging outside like it's a storefront. Yeah, there's a sign. There seems to be quite a few signs on the front of it that make it more look like a general store. Oh, I thought it was maybe like a historic, one of those places where there's reenactors. Well, there's, there's sunroofs, like there's, there's skylights. All right. And I wouldn't have guessed that that would be on a historical home. So we've deceived the aliens. Which, 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 Again. as we all know, I'm in favor of. <laughs> and that takes us to picture 88, which is entitled, in Murmurs of Earth at least, House, in parentheses, Modern. This is a photo by our old buddy Frank Drake. This is a house in New Mexico that belongs to some astronomer friend of the Golden Record producers. And it's well worth mentioning, it's not an atypical example of North American, or at least American, architecture either. I, I have a theory. My theory is Drake owed this guy money or lost a bet. Oh, and had to send a picture of his house into... I'm guessing his friend was trying to sell the house at the time. And so he could put in the ad, uh, oh. five bedrooms, swimming pool, a picture of it sent into space. Oh, no, that I'm, would be bad, though, because then the aliens will look for that house when they come here. And get Independence Day. Yeah, so you don't, you don't want that. Maybe there's just a picture, like maybe the people whose house it was who lost the bet in our imagined scenario. Maybe they're in the picture and they're just kind of hard for us to see. Oh, hiding behind a bush. <laughs> Wearing camouflage. So we assume there's a family of six somewhere in this photo that we just can't see. That would make more sense. Uh, and that takes us to picture 89, entitled House Interior by James L. Amos of the National Geographic Society. 
This was a photo sent in color and shows what can only be described as a chill 70s vibe. <laughs> there, it's a man and a woman sitting in a wood paneled den. There's a kind of a modern-esque 70s fireplace. And they are surrounded by paintings on the walls. And the, the bearded fellow in his cardigan is sitting on a stool painting a fresh canvas. And the woman is sitting next to the fireplace, what looks like pointing to the fire or warming her hands. Yeah, what is she doing? I think she's pointing at the fire. They do make a point. The reason they sent this in color was so that the outer space people, the OSPs, could see the color of the flame and therefore would get information on our atmosphere. Hmm. Oh. That is, that is the color you would get from a nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere. Has that nothing to do with all the paintings on the walls? I, uh, I don't believe so. I They're don't. not very colorful, it's got to be said. Oh, okay. Uh, and also as an example of stool sitting. <laughs> but again, chill 70s vibe. This could easily be featured in a knitting catalog. <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah, a, one of those cookbooks where they've got, like, cheese on bananas. Surprise. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> Uh, pieces of fruit suspended in jello. Yeah. Album cover, maybe? Uh, yeah, it's a bit busy. Uh, relaxing hits of the 70s? <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> cool hits for your fondue party? Because yeah. you know there's a fondue party. You pot know in that there's room. a Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also American, it, it seems to Scre- me. Screamingly so. Yeah. <laughs> so there's quite a lot of American uh, structures in this little stretch that we've just gone through. Yeah. I could easily imagine that this room is in that New Mexican house. Yeah, it could be. Hmm. I, I don't think it is. I, there's no evidence that it is, but uh, it, would be a, it wouldn't be out of... It wouldn't be crazy if it was the case. And this, of course, leads us naturally into picture <laughs> 90, titled Taj Mahal <laughs> by David Carroll. And this is a classic front-on photo of the amazing Taj Mahal in India. They wanted to include a picture of a canonical great building of the earth so they they chose this over uh, the eiffel tower some mayan pyramids and some gothic cathedrals they say and uh, i don't think there's anything to add like if i told you it was a picture of the taj mahal the photo in your head is the photo that they sent (laughs) yeah it's a nice one yeah it's It's a nice nice. building yeah it's a pretty impressive feat of construction absolutely and even if you look at the dome uh, I mean, in, in this picture I'm looking at, I'm looking at a color photo they sent to black and white. You can almost see the bricks in it. Yeah, the black and white one, you can kind of... They look more like scales, actually, in the black and white photo. Let's assume they're bricks. Okay. And I think there are enough people in this that you get a sense of scale. Absolutely, The yeah. monumental, enormous scale of the thing. There are crowds of people on the ground in the foreground of the photo. Uh, moving on to picture 91. Picture 91 is entitled English City, and then in parentheses... Oxford. This is a photo by Douglas Gilbert from the book C.S. Lewis, Images of His World, published by William B. Erdmann's Publishing Corporation. And it's basically a photo of downtown Oxford in amongst the colleges and the cathedrals. It's a pretty picture. I don't think there's anything to add except that it's, uh, you know, from the perspective of somebody who lives on Earth, it's nice to see something that's obviously not American. (laughs) <laughs> it's nice to see this, something that's not American. It's nice to see something that was obviously built in another time, which is still an active city. Yep. Like this is this is old architecture. This is not those are not buildings that would be built today, but as I understand it, are still very much in use today. That's right. And there are a lot of different ones, right? There's a that's a 
example of a lot of buildings all clustered together, which we haven't really had yet, but we will have more of in a minute. Yep. And, and I like how there's lots of trees in the behind all the buildings, too. You can get... Here that Oxford, you shouldn't have built all over those. I things. wonder if those trees are there today. I don't think they are. A few of them are, but basically, yeah, it's there's a lot more building in those hills. The university and the town grows. That takes us to picture 92, titled Boston from the Charles River by Ted Spiegel of the National Geographic Society. And it shows a modern city skyline, what looks to be maybe sundown. It lets the OSPs know that we live next to waterways, thus stressing the importance of water to us. Uh, There's many, many sailboats on the Charles, which I think I've never seen the Charles without many, many sailboats on it. Yeah, that also uh, supports the hypothesis that it's sundown, because I think you'd be hard-pressed to find that many hobby sailors at (laughs) sunup. Just saying. I I don't know how it works. I, I, I I don't sail. Was this one sent in color? No, this oh, one was not damn, sent in color. because it has such nice lighting. It does have very nice I mean, lighting. It's a very pleasing picture to look at. It is. With the, with the sunset clouds and the water and the sails. But every photo you send in color is two other photos you can't send. Hmm. It takes three times as much space to send a color photo as to, spe- to, as to send a black and white one. Well, in that case, I question some of their former decisions. Such as? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the trees and mushrooms picture. What about the fireplace? Hmm. I think if they're trying to showcase fire, they could have chosen a better picture. If yes. that was the main purpose of that image. They yeah. could have just sent a photo of a full-on campfire. Yep. Or, you know, an, a, a house in a different part of the world that has different people around a fire. I yep. Mean. Yeah, or, yeah, and show a fireplace as a single photo and then maybe show a photo. I like the photo of the guy painting, but I think maybe having him painting a scene that is very prominent behind the canvas. So you can see what he's two. actually doing. Yeah. Might have been more instructive. But anyway, I'm Monday morning picture picking which is what this podcast is all about. <laughs> we are now going to talk about the next two pictures, pictures 93 and 94, which is entitled UN Buildings by Day and by Night. This is, of course, provided by the United Nations, and it shows the classic United Nations headquarters building from New York City. It shows it in the day and at night, lit up, and it's an example of showing the OSPs how we light our cities. The nighttime photo was sent in color. The daytime wasn't. Oh, okay. So is the sole purpose of having two of the same picture just to show that we can create light? Uh, less that we can and more how we do it. More what, what, we, what, what a night scene looks like as compared to a day scene. Because you also see the, the bridge in the background lit up right. in the other buildings. It is clearly different and the same. Like there's enough similarity that you know it's the same building and enough difference that you know the circumstances are very different. So even if you didn't, oh, say, live on a planet where there was dark or there was light, you would see that the circumstances, something had happened between pictures 93 and 94 to change the yeah. uh, the way it looked. It would tell them we're not, that we continue operating in the evening. We're not diurnal. Yeah, but again, cannot stress it enough. We're sending it into outer space. We do not know if the outer space people have day and night. And that brings us at last to picture 95, which is titled Sydney Opera House. This is a photo by Michael E. Long of the National Geographic Society. 
and it is a picture of exactly what the title suggests, the Opera House in Sydney, Australia. Except it's under construction. Except it is under construction. Which is pretty cool for me. I don't know if it's cool for the old aliens, but it's cool for me to see. It, yeah, so the, the Opera House opened four years before the record was put together in 1973. And they wanted to include an example of very modern architecture to sort of end this section of photos with. Uh, I think it's interesting that the photo comes only a few after the photo from Boston with all the sailboats in it, because I believe the Opera House was designed to mimic sails on a boat, which makes me wonder whether it would be obvious to another culture that it was a building being built and not an, a kind of vessel. Ooh, that's a good point. I just noticed that there's a length scale on it as well. Uh, Where? 100 meters. It is very, very you hard are to correct. see. That, no way. I would never have seen that. Yeah, I just noticed it. Do you see the markers of where that 100 meters goes between? Yeah. Again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's a 100-meter opera house. In case anyone listening was wondering how large the Sydney Opera House is, the Golden Record producers just did you a solid. It is 100 <laughs> meters wide. There is a crane in this building. Obviously, they didn't build it by hand, so there is an example of construction by. There is a crane in the background, and there's scaffolding. It's not obvious, though. There's scaffolding in front of both sides. So, do these have a threat to humanity scale? Hmm. As a as a whole. Sure. Are there any that stick out? Uh, well, we've mastered fire, so that should give them warning. That should give them pause. Uh, that we are a we we can burn them if ah, we have to yes. if they're afraid of fire or a easily boiled species. <laughs> this is a show of strength on our part. If they're afraid of water, then we've shown that we're masters of being around water. So this is probably, I don't think we're giving away any secrets here. I don't think there's any building techniques that we are giving away. You say that, but when they come for the Amish to build their barns. talk about track 24 from the music of earth track 24 is titled flowing streams from china it runs seven minutes and 37 seconds and is performed by kwan ping hu on an instrument that hannah has the name of the instrument is called the gu chin but it is sometimes abbreviated to called the chin that's but seeks. sometimes not because <laughs> there are also many other chinese instruments that end with chin so it could also be abbreviated as chin this piece was composed by Yo Penya uh, sometime between the 8th and 5th centuries BC, and it was part of a longer piece called Towering Mountains and Flowing Streams. And the two pieces were split into two sometime during the Tang Dynasty, which was between 600 and 900 AD. And while there apparently are many regional versions of this piece of music, the one on the Golden Record is the piece most commonly heard in the Sichuan region. Cool. Yeah, so I just learned that this is a 2,500-ish year old piece, and my mind just got blown. Like, that's amazingly listenable. If you'd told me it was composed three weeks ago, I would also have believed it. Interesting. Yeah, the, the Gu Qin instrument is very old. It has a history of about 5,000 years. And a Chinese legend says that their legendary figures of their prehistory were involved in its creation. So it's pretty comes from a legendary background, I guess you could say. So what I have is that the chin is almost like a... It's a stringed instrument, seven silk strings on a very lacquered body that sits in your lap, and you would play it much like a person in the West would play a hammer dulcimer. It is sometimes 
with the lacquered body, it can be incredibly fancy. And it is not uncommon in a chin recital for the instrument to be put on display before for people to check out, which I, I quite like. Yeah, I strongly approve of that. Mm-hmm. We should do more of that in uh, Western performances. Yeah. And it has a five-tone scale played by the right hand. Uh, so you, you would, you would pluck, the, pluck the strings with your right hand and stop them with your left. And there, were no, there are no frets. I found this interesting bit of information in the classical notation for chin music. There are hundreds of ways to describe how to stop a string with the left hand. So you you can add sort of vibration or trill or something, depending on how you stop it. So this is, well, okay, so this is a murmur of earth fact. uh, So bells and whistles. Uh, But murmurs of earth describes one medium slow vibrato known as the fading sound of a temple bell is annotated to remind the musician that his finger on the string should oscillate like fallen blossoms floating downstream. A particular three-fingered chord followed by a flourish is known as, quote, the sound a fish makes when leaping out of the water. So there are hundreds of these to describe how you would uh, play the note or stop the string or modulate the string as you play. Oh, that's quite beautiful. It's beautiful. It sounds hard to learn, but incredibly beautiful, yeah. So I'm also fascinated by the idea of silk strings. I don't know of other, I mean, obviously other parts of the world didn't have silk to play with so it's not a big surprise that they went for animal guts and whatnot but it i'm curious to know if it's still played on silk strings do either of you come up with any contemporary well this is that's information that's information i found online just about chins themselves so i'm assuming it's still the case that's very interesting i'm i i'm interested to know that silk is that elastic yeah, and can create that rich tone. Uh, I'm surprised by that as well. Hmm. You get the tone from the echoing in the sound space of the but instrument. it still like has it, to echo the sound that the string It does. Makes. It has to carry, it has to transmit that vibration through the uh, sound post and the bridge to the, the chamber of the instrument. So the chin is also capable of a lot of harmonics, which is one of the big things about this instrument. And there are 91 commonly used harmonics, which is so many. So that's kind of what gives this its, its unique sound, is uh, all of the harmonics that, that you play on it. So you know how people in Western culture sometimes sort of complain that all music sounds the same or it's all already been written. How do you, how do you answer that from Chinese culture <laughs> when you've got music that's still going, when you've got an exact same instrument with its 90 harmonics going for... 3,000, 5,000 years. That's just amazing. Yeah. The fact that this piece is that old and doesn't sound that old, for lack of a better term. Like, it certainly like it, doesn't sound like not music, right? Mm-hmm. And it certainly doesn't sound like, I don't know, it sounds, it's just, <laughs> it sounds like a tune, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a very good piece, and it's one of the longest on the record. Yeah, uh, I think it is a, the longest is on it the, the longest? record. Yeah, yeah, that's what I read. And it's the only piece of Chinese music that we have as well. Yeah, and it was recommended for inclusion on the record by a fellow named Chu Wencheng of the Columbia School of the Arts. Good for him. I'm glad he recommended it because I really like this piece. Yep. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I'm going to go on and on about how contemporary it sounds. It's got many aspects that sound very, very modern. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Excellent selection for inclusion. So... Coming now to the most exciting part of any podcast we do. Mm-hmm. Hannah, you're trapped on a spaceship. You hear 
Flowing Streams and or Wedding Song, the Peruvian Wedding Song. Hey, which would you rather hear? I, I would rather hear Flowing Streams because I think it's a very relaxing, calming piece. I just love listening to it. I love this type of music. Um, so I, I would definitely not mind hearing that. I think that'd be, if you were woke up and you were very stressed out because you're on an alien spaceship, I think this would do a good deal uh, to calm you down. But I also found that for the Peruvian Wedding Song, I thought to me that sounded kind of almost like a lullaby. So I found that very soothing as well. Um, so you'd rather hear that on the UFO as you were going to bed? Yeah, and I think I could wake up to this Chinese piece. Could you fall asleep within 38 seconds, the, le- the running time of wedding song? Depends. I, it could be done. <laughs> it depends on the situation. So can I say that if I woke up on an alien spaceship and I heard human voice singing, that would probably be nice because there would be another human yeah. being somewhere nearby. What if you heard a slobbering alien monster trying to sing it? Well, that would depend on the nature of the slobbering, I guess. <laughs> it's just standard slobbering. Just typical <laughs> everyday slobbering. There is no such thing as standard as slobbering. Hitting the notes, the slobbering's not that <laughs> bad. Uh, this comes from a happy dog owner. Yes. <laughs> who is not put off by slobbering. Not that much. <laughs> I can dwell on this 2500. Like, there's the, if you listen to other ancient Chinese music, like ancient Chinese music for bells, it sounds very different. Like, it doesn't sound accessible to my modern ears, but this one does. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could say that while this piece was composed that long ago, we don't know if this was a piece, we don't know if this particular version was being played from that composition. We don't, because it, it, I, I think I said earlier that there were many regional versions of it and yeah. variations on it. Yeah, but if you think about music that was composed like only five or six hundred years ago in the Western tradition, like a motet, a, a sacred yeah, church music from the 1200s sounds really weird now to us. It, music has changed a lot, and I don't know. It's, I still think, wow, that's neat. Thanks for listening to Earth's Mixtape. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes, and maybe we will read your name on a future episode. Reviews will help people find out about the podcast, and maybe tell your friends about us. Did we make a mistake or an omission? Heck yeah, we did. Let us know all about it on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Earth's Mixtape. Or email us at earthsmixtape at gmail.com. Earth's Mixtape is produced at St. Mary's University in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada.